I watched Maniac Cop 2 last night. Did you? That's a classic. It's a classic. I, I forgot there was a rap. The Maniac Cop rap. He's the anti-vigilante and he can't be stopped. Something, something, Maniac Cop. Not a lot of things rhyme with cop. Yeah, they, they just used can't be stopped a lot. I was listening to the... Um, I was watching Lindsay Ellis's essay video essay on bright the netflix show oh yeah and and somebody associated with that did a rap song for her called orc cop in the style of a will smith you know mib or wild wild west yeah and and that is a line from it there's not a lot that rhymes with orc cop it's right in the chorus well there you go it's true not a lot rhymes with cop not a lot not a great deal no no. If we're being perfectly honest with us, with ourselves more than anyone else, Maniac Cop Two's all right. Maniac Cop Two's all right. Yeah, it's stupid. It's, yeah, that's true. It's stupid, but it 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 comes closer to f- filling the potential that the first one had. This idea of a an anti cop, mm-hmm. you know, killing victims and letting the criminals get away. Um, in the sequel, he teams up with a serial killer, basically just dosses at his house. Um, the, the killer looks like a cross between Charles Manson and Mick Foley. And then they eventually break into Sing Sing so uh, the maniac cop can kill the people that killed him in there. Um, he had his proper manky face at that point. All that rotten and stuff was pretty good. Um, I watched them all as kids, like, uh, as a kid. A lot of people remember fondly, like, Freddy, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, that lot. For me growing up, it was Maniac Cop, which is great because I basically grew up on the poverty line, so it's only right Mm -hmm. that I grew up with the off-brand supermarket version of a slasher movie villain, Maniac Cop, played by the great Robert Zadar. So that's... That's something you've learned about me today is that I watched Maniac Cop 2 last night. Welcome to the spin-off Doctors, you movie boys in the house. In the house. <laughs> in the hizzy. Right, right here. We're here to talk about Maniac Cop. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're here to talk about Treasure of the Four Crowns, which... <laughs> okay, so admittedly, this was part of a larger plan originally on my part for uh, for your birthday, Jim. This is right. this was only meant to be half the gift because I didn't select this movie. This movie was selected by our good friend Jonathan Holmes. Oh, cool. <laughs> of course it was. Of course it was. Now it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And I had arranged for him to have the time to join us uh, on our normal oh. scheduling day. Yeah. That was to be the big big surprise for us. Oh, so I'm that sorry sucks. we couldn't do that. but Because, um, yeah, the whole thing, the whole situation has been sucky because I was super sick on my birthday. Yeah. Uh, we were going to record on my birthday, January 1st. Um, you know, Amazon wishlist still available, folks. Um, <laughs> it was my birthday uh, on the 1st, and I'd completely lost my voice. Yeah. Um, just ill as hell and, and could not speak um, without sounding like Maniac Cop in that scene where he says his name. And it's all, oh, Cordell. Like that. That was the best I could manage. It wasn't fit for podcasts. Um, and too painful to talk. So 
you know, that was part of the reason why the podcasts have um, been a bit sparse lately. Um, but everything's back to normal now. But that's a shame. Yeah. I got to miss out on my birthday present. Uh, a, a Jonathan Holmes all to myself. He'll be with us in spirit. Yeah. Because this is this is such a Jonathan Holmes movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, mutual friend of mine and Conrad's, uh, writes for Destructoid. Uh, we've we've had discussions together on many things and many things I'd like to do with Jonathan. We we've had some podcast adventures in the past. Yeah. 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 Um. You know, we all want to throw spiders at Jonathan Holmes. It's true. In the yeah. hopes that one will bite him and turn him into the spidered man. <laughs> um. I would love to work with him again on stuff. But I I think that that day may come. I don't want to like give people undue hope, but I think down the road there might be a chance. I'm always open to it. I'm always open for Jonathan. That's <laughs> that has always been true. Yeah, it's it's always been the case. Uh, but yeah, treasure of the four crowns. Yes. Now this is a. Uh, I guess I had no exposure to it. I didn't seek mm-hmm. out any information on it before I watched it. It was difficult to find, even. Yeah. Yeah. There's only a couple of clips on YouTube. You yes. can't find the whole thing there. You can't find it on Amazon or anything like that. I bought it on DVD in a four pack <laughs> for like ten bucks. So four movies, $10, you could sort of guess at how much confidence they have in Treasure of the Four Crowns. For sure. And, and so when I hit play and I saw Canon Films Presents. <laughs> Always a good sign. Uh, and followed by uh, Golan and Globus names. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm ready. I'm in. I'm yeah. in all. And it did not disappoint. No, it's... <laughs> it defies like it's a shame it's so hard to get because this is one spin-off doctors where I would recommend people see the film. Yeah. Um yeah. I know some people just listen whether or not they've seen the movie and they don't seek the movie out beforehand. But as hard as it is to get hold of, you should try. Because while it's not video game related and this whole thing, you know, was just supposed to be an off-brand, an offshoot bit of fun for the new year and the the birthday and all that. Oh, it needs to be seen. Yeah. It really should be seen. People should appreciate this. We're going to describe things you will not have accurately pictured in your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this is 1983. And I didn't realize, I just learned this by looking at the IMDb page. This was shot for 3D, which explains so much. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We cottoned onto that about halfway through when enough things had been thrust Thrust into into the the camera. camera. (laughs) It should have occurred to me. And we watched the credits. And in the end credits, there's a thing that says shot for 3D. Um (laughs) And they they used the promotional posters for it. They uh, used the names uh, Supervision and Wonder Vision to, d- to title the processes uh, used to, pr- to make 3D in this film. Uh, not real. <laughs> it's nothing new. <laughs> of course. It was no. the Mark III Depic Stereo Space Converter System. Well, there you go. That's all you need. Um, yeah, like, the, the end result is just 
things being not like your Resident Evil or your Silent Hill when they had 3D movies and things are just whooshing dramatically at the camera. This is often something like putting a a card in a slot and just having the card with the hands with the card very slowly moving toward the camera. It's just a lot of things from this weird forced perspective. And it's the same perspective every time. Yes. It's always this special, like, here is the 3D shot perspective. Um, this sort of full-on, close thing. And whatever's moving towards you, there is a rod behind it yeah. that's pushing it there. That's it. You know you've got to put your glasses on when there's a tight shot of something slowly being pushed near you. <laughs> Essentially, uh, Treasure of the Four Crowns, I mean, all that does, you're not missing anything with the three. In fact, it's... I think it's enhanced, probably. Yeah. It's preferable to not try and get, like, watch it in 3D. First of all, it's impossible to do now, I would imagine. Second of all, it only adds to the surreal, dreamlike quality of the film. Dreamlike is a really good description for this film. Yeah. Yeah. Dream slash nightmare like. <laughs> <laughs> it drifts along. Its pacing is very, very weird. There's actually only like four sets in this whole movie. Yeah. And and it spends it spends like not quite equal time. Like one of the sets gets maybe five minutes of footage, and the rest of the film is broken up among like three other like sort of set piece scenes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I think there's only maybe six scenes in the whole goddamn movie. <laughs> there might be. It's one of those movies um, in that canon and similar B-movie thing that where there are amazing scenes and there are also scenes where people are just hanging around talking. Literally, in the case of this movie. Yes, actually. Um, so Treasure of the Four Crowns is... A heist film? Yeah. Would we say? I mean, okay, so the Metal Gear Squalid. Indiana Jonestown. Mission Incomprehensible. <laughs> it is all these things. <laughs> it is a uh, yeah, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, um heist type film about stealing a treasure from a cult. And a death cult, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's got all of those things sort of together. And it it wears those it wears a lot of its influences really on its sleeve. Like the Indiana Jones thing is so like obvious that they saw that yeah. and they're like, "Oh, okay, we're doing that." They they saw that and thought, "Well, we can't get one giant boulder. Let's get two smaller ones. <laughs> two knee-height boulders." <laughs> <laughs> Two knee-height foam boulders. That'll sort us out. It's more bang for your buck. Where did the pterodactyl go? Yeah. (laughs) Why was it never brought up? Well, that that was just a strange place. Was that just an aviary of strange creatures? I liked to think that animals just hated our main hero, J.T. Stryker. Spelled with a Y. With a, of course, with a way. Um, yeah, they do a whole Indiana Jones intro as he infiltrates Temple, but <laughs> but he's accosted by dogs and birds, and the birds are inexplicably led 
by a tiny pterodactyl. But yeah, I'm getting too far ahead of us. Well, let's just let's just dive um, in and yeah, let's just dive in. Um, yeah, all right, treasure of the four crowns. We open with an opening crawl that um, I you know <laughs> I bet this looks great in 3D. I'm, I'm I'm kidding, but but the aspect ratio of this copy that I I I got on DVD is four by three, and mm-hmm. it was clearly shot in a widescreen you know ratio for film, and the sides are cut off. Of course, yeah. So that you have to wait till the text is two thirds of the way up the screen before you could read it all, and at that point, it's supposed to be going into the background. <laughs> So really not not designed for the transition to television that it inevitably made, but no. Uh, the crawl reads, in the universe there are things man cannot hope to understand. Powers he cannot hope to process, forces he cannot hope to control. The four crowns are such things, yet the search has begun. A soldier of fortune takes the first step. He seeks a key that will unlock the power of the four crowns and unleash a world where good and evil collide. Um, it's not written with any punctuation. No, no, it is. <laughs> I mean, I've read Steam store descriptions. <laughs> this is a Steam store description. Yeah. 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 Run on sentence of gibberish made up at the last minute. I wouldn't call JT Striker a soldier of fortune. Well, I think mercenary is the word, but they, you know, wanted to be fancy about it. He's technically a mercenary. Yeah, I don't mean mercenaries are technically soldiers of fortune, but it right. just seems too grand a title for what is essentially a, a burglar. Yes, yeah, yeah, he's a burglar. That's about right, yeah. Um, approaching some castle or estate or mission ruins, I'm not sure what this structure's supposed to be. Yeah, and we will never know. No, but... It, it, the film doesn't waste time explaining... There, there is no dialogue for a long time. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, by the time someone spoke, I'd forgotten what language was. <laughs> Honestly, it's so silent in terms of dialogue for a long time. Oh, the first full 20 minutes of this film has no spoken dialogue. No yeah. speaking for 20 minutes. Yep. And it's and it's actually and it's just JT Stryker. Yeah. That's that's why. He's the only one in this scene for twenty minutes. Uh, yeah. being bothered by animals to the point where you think he's an anti doolittle. And he he's Boy, we should talk about the fashion. <laughs> Cause he rolls up in a red motorcycle jacket with khakis. Yep. Odd look. He's smoking a cigarette. We in the fashion industry, we call that look the striker. <laughs> He's putting on the gloves now? Okay, I mean, sure. But I don't understand why he didn't have them on when he was riding the motorcycle. If he was riding a motorcycle, because we don't see that. We just see him stroll up and then put motorcycle gloves on. Uh, wanders inside, climbs some stairs into a tower, and then along the outer walls of this fortress uh he ventures into what i'm guessing is an aviary because there's just fucking birds everywhere yeah tons of birds and inconsistent birds we have owls yeah we have vultures yeah we have this pterodactyl 
Yep. And I'm pretty sure that the birds aren't making the right noises either. I'm sure at some point, and I may be wrong, that the vultures start sounding like owls. <laughs> like they just mixed up the foley? Yeah, like they just got, like, they, they, you know, they've got a soundtrack LP that they've bought and they've just got one, you know, one of the tracks is bird noises. <laughs> And they just tried to cut around but lost track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you're right. A a tiny pterodactyl appears. Yes. A tiny one. And it's, well, there's a there's a dart trap in here too, which seems like why is, if this is a holding place for these birds, why is it trapped? Yeah. I like to think whoever built this temple, fortress, whatever it is, thought, why am I killing two birds with one stone when I can kill ten birds with a dart trap? <laughs> Progress, friends. And then that person was burnt as a witch. Uh, then, yes, he's attacked by a tiny pterodactyl, followed by other... So small! He is, it's it's a small. tiny... It's, it's like head-sized. And it's clearly made out of, like, paper mache or something. Like, it looks... So fake. It has very obvious wires. Very obvious wires. It's the first of many obvious wires we'll see. And also, I feel like they forgot to show it in slow motion sometimes, because it's mostly shown in slow motion. And the reason for that (laughs) is because in certain scenes, the slow motion isn't there, and the wings are going, like, that fast. Like, it's just frantic uh-huh. clapping up and down and it looks so stupid <laughs> that it's obvious why they kept showing it in slow motion because it doesn't look as bad you'd think it would be the other way around that if you see it in slow motion it'll look more obvious how shit it is but no because it looks like a child's toy when it's because it practically is um when it's shown in regular speed slowing it down would have maybe given it some drama that's you know? I, that's what it is. Like it's as much as you can manage with a toy dinosaur on a wire. <laughs> it's more quote unquote dramatic when it's slow motion because it looks like the wings might actually be somewhat flapping, instead of, I guess, just shuddering. It doesn't flap so much as it just they clap up and down at this frantic speed, and it looks hilarious. It's like one of those battery t- powered. Uh, bird toys with the plastic wings that just goes... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably what it was. They probably just slapped, like, tape over it and painted it brown and were like, they're a pterodactyl, isn't it? Uh, A clothes peg for a beak or something. Um, But yeah, 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 I'm genuinely convinced that the scenes where it isn't slowed down, they just forgot to slow that footage down and didn't bother. Yeah. Didn't bother fixing it. Well, he escapes through a crawl space that then closes behind him with a metal grate to separate him from bird pain. Well, then he moves forward and he's trapped by another barrier. And this one distresses him. And I don't see why this one's worse than the one with the birds, unless it's just like he was more worried about the birds than having the ability to get back out the way he came in. And now he's realizing, oh, shit, I'm trapped. (laughs) I think one issue with with this film is the idea of escalation doesn't really worry them as filmmakers. Mm. You can have scenes where he's concerned one minute and blowing it off the next, and it can flip between the two, and there doesn't have to be consistency. Uh, You can have him agree to do something the uh, the scene immediately after he explicitly didn't agree to do something. Yeah. And you don't explain 
how the two states, you know, how, how it got from one state of affairs to the other. That's That does actually literally happen in about yes. 20 minutes. Um, yes. This film just doesn't care. <laughs> and it's... It's got a great sense of freedom because of it. Yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm okay that it doesn't care in this instance because it's got so many other things working against it to <laughs> being a good film that it's like, yeah, fuck it at this point. Why not? Why not? Uh, arriving in a ruined room, the man examines a rope over a metal grate and then the grate falls out from under him. And, and, but he clings to the rope and he climbs over to the edge and then a snake crawls over him. Gross. Ooh. So Tony, animals fucking hate this guy. I mean, it's a constrictor, and it just moves on. It doesn't like wrap itself around him or anything. It's not that. It's just there to fuck with him, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, then again, like if I was a snake, a miniature pterodactyl would be a tough act to follow. That's true. That's true. So I I'd mean, just be like, I'm gonna get you. Oh, you've already seen the terror. Oh, all right, moving yeah, well, on. Yeah. yeah. All right. I've got to move closer to the entrance. With the snake passed, he climbs up and encounters a pack of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was at this point I started laughing. What are how are all of these animals like subsisting in these ruins? There must be a lot of rats that we're not seeing that things are eating. Either that or JT Striker is like the fortieth person to come through that month. Right. Yeah. Like they're just eating adventurers. They're eating soldiers of fortune. <laughs> uh, fighting the dogs off, he jumps through a window. <laughs> he does. It's so unnecessary yeah. as well. It's like he'd specifically found a window to jump through. That's what it looks like. It's like there are many ways I could get out of this situation. Oh, shit, a window. Head first through that, fucker. It, but he, he continues to be pursued up to a rope that he drops down from and into a tunnel that has these weird-ass noises inside. And then something in the tunnel breaks, and a fragment of rock falls into a hole that seems to then explode. And I think this was a 3D thing, but I don't get it. I'm no. so confused. There ain't nothing to get. There ain't nothing to get. And suddenly... The dude is doing a flip over a small tent that's set up in this room. T- the, the thing is a mess. He's showing off it, to dogs and snakes and yeah, birds. and it's just a jumble of stuff in a room that doesn't like, make a whole lot of sense together. Yeah, that's that's part of the course for this whole thing. Like later on, like the 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 later set piece is a bit more thematically consistent. Mm-hmm. But for this bit, it really was fill it with props and do whatever. Yeah. You know, it's the same mentality I have when I'm putting together a silly YouTube video or, you know, kids making home movies in the 90s. It's just buy some props from a Halloween store and drape them around. Yeah, there's these old suits of armor and old swords and these brass vessels uh, for containing various liquids on a table there's a bunch of skeletons around and a massive massive sarcophagus which is like the last thing he takes interest in in the room yeah uh 
because we have to see all of the other shit that's in there. Well, he's approaching it like a video game. He's like, he's looking for secret areas first. Right, he knows where the objective is. He yeah. just wants to make sure he doesn't miss any um, devlogs. Yeah, he's running like up and down the wall hitting A. <laughs> so finally interested in the sarcophagus, he opens it up using a couple of ribbons of plastic explosive. Yep. To like crack the lid and then uses a rusty axe to very, very slowly remove it. And there's this green glow from within. He did a good job of making it look like all that styrofoam was, was heavy. heavy. Yeah, he did. He did. He was. He's an actor. This is this is the last film performance uh, from Tony Anthony. He went on to be a producer of other things. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, the skeletons and the suits of armor in the room begin to move as the green fog fades away to reveal this corpse holding a scepter. And the man takes the scepter and examines it, pushing in two rods on its head, which causes the top portion to pop out. It's all fancy and shit. And then cross- crossbows floating in air on wires. <laughs> fire bolts that the man dodges. And then a spear. And then a glaive, I think. I think Krull is in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Krull from Pixels is in this. Uh, and having dodged all the spears, he turns to leave the room and sees smoke billowing from the table, and a gun floats up? (laughs) I forgot about the floaty gun. (laughs) And it shoots, but then nothing happens at all. It just shoots, and he's fine. Yeah. He has a follow-up encounter with uh, one of those spitting pillar pendulums that'll have, like, you know, spikes sticking out of it and, like, swings down. Uh, that he, he hides underneath, I- inside the open sarcoph- sarcophagus from it until it loses its momentum and just hangs there. Yep. So, of course, we have to see all of that. Keep chatting for one second. Mm-hmm. I'll st- I should still be able to hear you. I just got to open the blinds. Ah. Keep an eye out for... The, the man from Atmos. One second. You keep telling them about keep, the skeletons yeah. and the guns. Well, speaking of outside, lightning, so and thunder starts cr- <laughs> lightning, lightning and thunder starts crashing. And as he climbs back out of the sarcophagus, a ball of flame just flies past him and into a skeleton. And the fire begins spreading as another fireball hits the guy in the back. But he's fine. He's totally fine because that red leather jacket is like, you know, uh, flame retardant, I guess. Red red leather. Maybe it's the red of the leather that's doing it. I'm not Where sure. we at? Fire? Fire. Oh, so much fire. 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 And there's more fireballs and an explosion of some kind that makes absolutely no sense, but that's what drives him out of the room. Oh, what I, what I love about the fireballs is that clearly they just like made little foam balls, mm-hmm. set fire to them, and just threw them at, <laughs> at the actor. Yes, Tony Anthony. I, I swear, at one point, one of the fireballs bounces off his head. It does. Yeah. No, one of them clearly hits him and bounces off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry if you said that. I. I I moved a bit further than I thought I had to do to do the blinds, but yeah. But he's just fine. It just hits yeah, him. And fireball just totally bonks him on the it. head. I think they're there to just frighten, frighten and or amuse. 
But this film takes a lot of liberties with fire. It does. I think some health and safety <laughs> was not adhered to with this film. Uh, something tells me that there was not a lot of stunt coordination going on. Uh, no, no. Um, there are one or two moments where I'm like, that is too close to the fire and too much fire and it's all real fire and someone got burned on this yes. set. Yes, this is 1983 fire. It's all the real shit. Yeah. They were throwing... <laughs> they were throwing balls soaked in gasoline at the dude's head. That's all I can imagine. And one bonked off it. No wonder he went into producing. <laughs> like, I'm not having people thro- literally throw actual fireballs at me. I'm Tony Anthony. I'm going to be the guy that throws the fire from now on. <laughs> yeah. From now on, I tell you who gets set on fire. But somehow he climbs up to a flag and swings his way out of a window before the entire structure is completely engulfed in flame. And running like a true hero... The castle, the entire fortress thing, inexplicably explodes behind him. <laughs> That's another great thing about this film, is things exploding when they don't need to. For no reason. For no good reason. I've, I, I've, I've seen temples crumble right. when the treasure's taken. I've seen them... Hell, I think I may have even seen one or two implode. I've never seen one just blow up like it was a like it was a secret base in a sci-fi film yeah and i i, I these I, I i feel like i missed describing because i'm sure that the uh the indiana jones bit is in here and it's just not come across it by description reading it back when i say fireballs at one point a ball that's like knee high rolls out of a thing on fire towards him and it's supposed to be the indiana jones boulder <laughs> And it, they're so tiny, but there's two of them. It's but the yeah, the first one comes and it's chasing him. Like that's not that impressive. I mean, they put it on fire to make it more impressive, but it didn't work. It's still only knee high. And then it, here comes the other one. I was like, oh, that's how they tried to account for the fact that this thing is like a fourth of the size that it needs to be. If you've seen Dark Place, <laughs> yes, there's an episode where Matt Perry, uh, as Rick Sanchez, is being chased by staplers and filing cabinets, and it's basically this, mm-hmm. like in terms of quality and props and just how like everything's on wires and Dark Place. By the way, I think they're all on YouTube right now. They used to be able to get them officially, but you can't. They're all on YouTube. Garth Marenghi. I've gotten compared to him a lot visually because I just because I wear aviators it might be on Hulu I think I've seen it pop up maybe it's on Hulu but I would recommend checking it out it's a good pastiche of like Stephen King stuff and B-movie stuff especially Um, things like canon film productions Um, brilliant funny 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 shit I was never really a Richard Ioad is that how you pronounce his name Um, I think so uh, I was never a big fan of his. I didn't get into the IT. I specifically tried to learn it the other day, and now I, I think it's I. Uh, no, see, I specifically tried. I'm sorry, I did try, but I'm, I'm so English, <laughs> and we basically only learn our own names, and that's it. Yeah, uh, he, he uh, that show got me into him. Like his, uh, his performance. As the the two characters he plays in that, because he is, of course, the producer and uh, a co-star. 
Yeah. <laughs> Him as Dean Lerner. Dean Lerner, yes. He's great. Brilliant. This sleazy, you know, glorified pornographer. Yes. And, and the... Oh. He had his own show. Man to Man with Dean Lerner, yeah, Man the follow-up. Man to Man with Dean Lerner. The guy who played Garth Marenghi played all the guests. That was also good. That was a bit more British, and it was harder for me to follow. But, yeah, um, yeah also a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah, great stuff. Um, but this this is Dark Place, but sincere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to note that we are at the 20-minute mark of the movie. <laughs> We're about to hear some dialogue. Yes. Uh, cut to a plane landing and our dude walking with a suitcase through a waterfall tunnel. Maybe this is a known, like, landmark or was a known landmark in the 80s. No one built this set. No one made the waterfall tunnel. They found it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they didn't build it. I just, I, I wonder where it is or, you know, or what it is or why they thought it was significant. Maybe they just thought it was cool. To walk him through a waterfall tunnel. I mean, that's it. Someone saw it and was just like, right, we can get permission to film here. Or not. But then he gets, like, into a car that's sitting on what seems to be a highway off-ramp. There's a lot of traffic. It's a very, oh, very yeah, yeah, busy yeah. street. I mean, that's the, that looks like a freeway in the United States. It's not shot in the U.S., I don't think, this particular no. scene. Um, it looks like they're somewhere in Europe, but uh, it's a busy place. To, it's a strange place, I would think, to get into a car. Um, and a man in the back seat addresses our hero for the first time as JT. Yep. So now we've got a name to go with that leather. Uh, JT's pretty pissed at his buddy, whose name is Ed, for not fully informing of the danger he was walking into. Yep. Although... He complains about the danger, but not once does he say, did you know there was a little pterodactyl in there? <laughs> yeah, doesn't bring up the pterodactyl at all. Or the explosion. He doesn't bring up any of the wild shit that goes on in that temple. Guns floating. Ed insists that he warned him about the ghosts. <laughs> but JT didn't want to believe in ghosts. You warned me about the ghosts, but you didn't tell me they were packing. <laughs> Floating gun is so fucking weird. Uh, he wants his damn money in exchange yeah. for this key that he's collected. He's in it for the money because he's a soldier of fortune. That's right. The pair are driven to a museum, and Ed leaves JT behind in a medieval armor display where I mean, maybe at this point he's experiencing a little PTSD from all of the other armor he was just attacked by. Because Oh, sure, I would too. Yeah, yeah fair, fair bit of time staring at that. Uh, while Ed retrieves a professor who demands the key once he arrives. And uh, looking at it, he exclaims, The crowns! <laughs> and the men move to a wooden box that automatically opens and extends a shelf seemingly twice the depth of the box. Oh, <laughs> yeah, just to show off the 3D. Right. That's another tight shot, something slowly moving toward the camera. And yeah, I could only summarize because i was watching this with justin um and we could only theorize that in its normal state that is just a wooden box with a giant fucking shelf the other side uh -huh. and it just moves the shelf to the other side yeah yeah i think that's entirely what happened for no good reason <laughs> <laughs> well the uh there's a crown on the very end of this extremely long shelf 
and the professor explains there were once four of these crowns created by the Visigoths in the 6th century. And the gold balls atop them, according to legend, contain secrets to unleashing the powers of good and evil. Now, three of these crowns were lost, and one was taken by some Arabs and destroyed by trying to open it without the key. Yeah, and right here I'm a little bit offended by the film, promising me four crowns and then revealing 20 minutes in there were only three. There were only three, what the hell? What a fucking con job that is. I'm only getting 75% of my promised crowns. It's not right. Been swizzled, mate. As the professor explains that he acquired this crowd from a Sherpa and then contacted JT to retrieve the key, he opens the crown through a concealed keyhole underneath one of the gems, and there's a scroll of paper inside. Satisfied that this wholly supports the legend, JT asks where the other crowns are. Now, Ed's got the 411 starting a home movie with a ranting preacher. This is Brother Jonas, a convicted armed robber from Brooklyn who started a mail-order cult and claims to be politically oppressed for his beliefs. Yep. And in this scene, uh, Ed, I think it's Ed, could not showcase enough how much he hates this cult leader. To the point where it started sounding like character assassination. There's a vitriol there. Yeah. He's very, very angry about this. I think I think there's personal beef that he didn't he didn't share with JT Stryker, and I think he's biased. I think he's compromising the mission. Compromising the mission, taking it personally, overblowing Jonas's evil, because let us not forget, and this isn't a spoiler, folks. Let us not forget, throughout this film, Jonas isn't seen doing anything evil. At one point, he's seen doing something very unethical. He's not an ethical cult leader. But you don't see him, like, commit murders. You don't see him um, running guns. They said he was convicted of that. He's done his time. (laughs) He's running this cult, and the worst thing he does is, like, he tricks people, sure. Yeah. But it doesn't, I don't think it warrants what happens to him. He's a fraud. Yeah, absolute fraud. But he's presented as Voldemort. Like, we are told to expect, and I was expecting, like, a real villain. Like, over-the-top scene-chewing villainy. Mm -hmm. And I was looking forward to it. Uh, But what I got was just, he's a bit of a, bit of a dick. (laughs) Yeah. But otherwise... He's the victim of robbery. <laughs> uh, so he has... Justice for Jonas is what I'm calling for here. Hashtag justice, justice for Jonas. He's got the crowds somehow. Yeah. Somehow he's got the crowds. Uh, I guess I guess from the money he's acquired through his mail-order cult. Yeah. It's another one of those don't worry about it situations. He also bought a private mountain fortress with armed guards. Yep. And he has 15,000 followers. Now, at that point, if I were JT Striker, I was like, right, he's got a fortress, does he? Is it rigged to explode? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the, the, I guess the thing about this is that this is 1983. We're less than 10 years out from Jonestown, right? Like the idea of 
somebody amassing 15,000 people into a cult is not, like, totally insane. Maybe getting them all no. to come live at your private mountain fortress. It would depend how many pterodactyls are in it before I'd consider moving in. But Jonestown was a very real thing that it was still in the consciousness. Sure, and, yeah. uh, you know, people had gone and gone to one of these places and all died. It's not hard to make the leap that, you know, this cult leader is just a simple stereotype face of evil in the culture at this point. Yeah. Uh, I, that is actually what I, uh, a discussion I had uh, mm-hmm. at the time. I was like, we're, we're just taking it on faith that he's evil because he's a cult leader. Right. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying cult leaders are inherently good or anything. No. Um, you know, Jonas is a bad character. He's an arsehole. Um, and, you know, the cult should be brought down because it's hoodwinky and shit. But, it does allow for very lazy writing. That's what I'm criticizing here is just all they have to do is say cult leader and then let you do the rest. Yeah. As the audience, you you fill in the blanks and be like, okay, he's a villain. That's enough. I think that, uh, you know, our, well, our, I don't know, maybe this is again the time for this movie. What with Nexium being a thing that was in the news recently. Maybe. Uh, Scientology is... (laughs) The time for Treasure of the Four Crowns has never been hotter. (laughs) Let's buy the rights. We'll make a fortune. So the professor asks JT to stop Jonas, saying that the power of the crowns must be preserved for the good of mankind and not Jonas's destructive aims. Not that we have a whole lot of evidence for that, but sure. Uh, JT just wants to know why all the cultists wear masks. That's, like, his only thing that he cares about in this situation. Yeah. The masks that the cultists wear make them look like Goombas from the Mario Brothers movie. Yep, a bit. A bit. And then it's a the lack of an individuality thing. Only Brother Jonas gets to be an individual. Everyone else is just, uh, you know. it's it, And that, that right there, that's an anti-communist message that they're trying to put across. You know, in this in this time and place, that that stripping of individuality of the communist states and yada, yada, yeah. yada. Uh, now, Ed asks JT to steal the crowns from Brother Jonas again, but JT just wants his money, honey. And Ed gives him the damn money, but he's not done giving JT a piece of his mind, calling him out on not believing in ghosts while just having been attacked by some. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. I don't know either. It's just, but it is odd. Yeah. Because here's a Fed who's like, it's a weird contrast, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Because it's not normally the Fed that you expect to be the one who believes in the no. superstition of the ghosts. It would be the mercenary. But hey, it predates the X-Files. It's probably where they got the oh, idea. Oh, shit. Chris Carter stole from the, stole these four crowns. <laughs> The X-Files has been ripping off Treasure of the Four Crowns all this time. Mm. All this time. You know what? I bet that's where the truth is. Yes. It's it, it's it's in one of the... Cr- I bet the truth is in that fourth crown that the Arabs destroyed. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. JT's too cool. It seems like JT is too cool for this shit. Like, for this offer. He just, like, bails on the room. Yep. And then it cuts to... Uh, some other snowy place and JT getting out of a car with Ed. Yeah. And I, I, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how jarring it is. And it's, this is something we've seen in many B movies sure. before. Not once we've talked about here, but a lot of good B movies have this where JT Stryker 
is so adamant he does not want to take this job. No. And get the stuff off Jonas. He's adamant. And it really is a, forget it. I'm, I, I want my money for the job I've done. I'm out. And then immediately the next scene, he's with Ed, having agreed to do the job. He only a second ago said he was not entertaining the prospect of doing. And they don't explain how they get from one situation to the next. There's uh, an episode of uh, BoJack Horseman, uh, The Telescope, in the first season, where it looks back on him. uh, It's mostly in flashbacks, and... He's on the set of Horsin' Around complaining about the script and how there's a whole scene where his character's insisting he's not going to wear a sweater. And then it cuts to the next scene and he's wearing the sweater. And he doesn't understand why his character would do this. And obviously it's the joke setup, you know, that we've seen a million times before. But again, this is a joke setup and the film is earnest. Yes. This is not a joke. They don't play it up. He's just, I'm not doing this. All right, I'm doing this. They just didn't bother (laughs) shooting a scene where he accepts. They didn't bother writing a scene where he's convinced. They just, it's like they knew that a mercenary soldier of fortune character would refuse the job because that adds some drama to the scene. And didn't know how to write themselves out of it, so just didn't. (laughs) Yeah, didn't give him any stakes, nothing to lose, no further reason to pursue it. Just, all right, I'm in. Except he doesn't even say all right, I'm in. Yeah, he never says it. He's just in. (laughs) (laughs) So they asked the bartender if she's seen a guy named Rick. And she has. He's a drunk, and he just staggered out. So she directs them to a cabin. They go to the cabin. (laughs) And Ed's raising these concerns the whole way about hiring a drunk. And and inside this cabin, they find Rick passed out in a chair in front of a fire. Yeah. And, And this film, this is another thing I can't convey to you. I can't convey to you exactly how much this film revels in Rick's alcoholism. Yeah. Not a scene can go by. It's like, it's like how every time you see Batman, he has to talk about how his parents were shot. Every scene, you have to be reminded Rick's an alcoholic. And Rick will remind you himself in a tone that almost (laughs) suggests pride. JT sets to waking this drunk up and then tries to have a conversation with him about his sobriety while he's drunk, which is always the most effective time to have that conversation. And Rick is apparently a mountain climber, uh, which, yeah, I guess that's not something you'd want to do drunk? No. <laughs> Ideally not. The ideal the ideal state of being you need to uh, represent and be in while mountain climbing is sober, I would imagine. I have had difficulty climbing into a bed drunk. So the idea of climbing a mountain in that state does not seem wise. Uh, he yeah. also thinks that the key looks like a platypus. It's just a fun fact. Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, As Ed and JT do a vaudeville routine about Rick's drinking, (laughs) they stand aside and they're having this conversation that just feels like it was written for a vaudeville stage bit. Uh, And then the key begins to glow, and the room starts shaking. 
as this high-pitched whine fills the air, and the key floats through the air on its wire, really obvious wire, (laughs) Uh, and lamps in the stove explode, and glass shatters, and pipes burst. Things blowing up for no reason again. Cans of flour fly off their shelves twice. (laughs) (laughs) What I love about this scene is that it clearly demonstrates Treasure of the Four Crowns is a Harry Potter prequel <laughs> as they spend this entire scene chasing after the Golden Snitch. It's what it looks He's like. Chasing, JT's chasing the key around and it flies into the wood-burning stove and tries to escape out the exhaust pipe. <laughs> and somehow JT stops it. I'm not sure how, Yeah. but it comes tumbling back out the pipe and gets chased some more until JT gets a hold on it, and then the door behind him just explodes open, and all this snow comes flooding into the cabin. Yeah, and at no point in this film could you ever expect for it to be explained why the key can fly, why the key doesn't want to be held by anyone, how it's capable of at least strategic reasoning... And why it makes things explode. None of these secrets are revealed, I'm afraid. We will never find out. (laughs) The key is moving around and doing shit because. Next, JT visits a theater in Spain where (laughs) where he watches a circus act perform with a green skinned giant attacking a policeman. Did you see green? I saw blue. Oh, did you see blue? I saw green. Oh, God. Is this the dress thing again? <laughs> Is this Yanni on Laurel again? <laughs> I specifically saw blue because... <laughs> and this amused me no end, because he... <laughs> the guy wearing the... I'm, I'm going to carry on with blue, because sure. it works for my purposes. Because I saw blue paint all over him, and he's an old fella, mm-hmm. big, but old fella, bald with, like, hair, you know... Round the back and everything, round the base. Yeah, he's got that rim thing that... Because he looks... He looks exactly like Gargamel tried to disguise himself as a smurf. <laughs> With the, the craggy face oh and the aged, the wizened look to him and the hair and the blue. It is Gargamel. Gargamel dressed up to ambush smurfs. Oh, God. I Yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd seen him as blue. That's... Uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So afterwards, in the makeup room, JT approaches this uh, blue-skinned man, Socrates. Yeah. He I, actually he he looked more green in when he was the giant in the circus act than in the the makeup table. And in yeah. the in the makeup table table, it looks to me at least very blue. Mm. Yeah, it could just be a lighting thing. Implies either a lighting thing or they ran out of green paint <laughs> for the act. And then when they had him in the backstage scene, they were like, have we got any other paint? I got some blue. Slap it on. <laughs> uh, Socrates immediately shuts down any offer JT might have for him. He's like, no, no, you're trouble. How the hell did you find me <laughs> not doing it? But when the offer comes to be $100,000 each for him and for Liz, the trapeze artist, to join this little gang, Socrates seems to soften up. So we get to watch Liz swing around for probably like three, four minutes. Yeah, this is a, one of those classic B-movie situations where they knew a trapeze artist mm-hmm. b- 
before they, you know, produced started production on the film and just filmed the trapeze artist doing trapeze stuff because they knew someone who could do it. Yeah. And that's a good enough reason to have it in your film. You know, if you know anyone who can do anything, find an excuse to put it in the film because that's some stunt work, some set piece work that you don't have to do. Well, you know, but to to its credit, they created, they crafted a scenario under which the talents of a trapeze artist, the very specific abilities of a trapeze artist would be valuable. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of, because as we will find out later, J.T. Stryker probably didn't need any of these people. Most of them don't really do anything once they're... You think he's recruiting a ragtag band of, of individuals to help them. Except every single one has an almost hobbling over-specialization. And some sort of crippling weakness. And some sort of, yeah, terrible weakness that, that holds them back. Again, spoilers for later, they all pretty much die before they do anything. Mm-hmm. You think you're going to see, you know, the this misfit group employing all of their skills. At one point, the trapeze artist has to do things uh, pertaining to climbing around the, the room that in no way correlates with the skills of a trapeze <laughs> artist. She barely uses the trapeze as part of the, the, the heist. But anyway. Well, she, she does the trapeze stuff and gives JT Stryker a big old hug after she gets out of the netting and, and she and Socrates are going to hear JT out. Yeah, is it explain the relationship between Socrates and Liz? Because it's romantic. To be, I think. Yeah, because a lot of the dialogue, um, a lot of the dialogue scenes, because in between the awesome intro and the awesome ending, there's some funny stuff. Yeah, but the dialogue scenes are a drag. They are, which is to be expected from a film like this, um, the sort of eighties B movie shit. There's a, always a lot of padding and dialogue, and you know what they. Um, you know, filming things because they know someone or an event is happening in town. Uh, lots of time wasting to fill out, you know, four minute trapeze acts and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, so I missed some details and what was going on. Um, so, and so did Justin. I don't think there's any conversation or dialogue in there that sort of clarifies the nature of their relationship. Because um, it's either going to be a romantic thing or, or a paternalistic thing. Or a paternal thing. Yeah. I went with father and daughter. Um, it could be a romantic thing. Yeah, I went with romantic. That was my assumption. But I, but th- I think that's also just because, like, there isn't... this. That's something I will give this film credit for. Uh, there's no love interest shit. Our hero, our, our protagonist doesn't need to fall in love. Oh, no, no. His only stakes in this is money. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Like, there's no... He doesn't get turned around or softened or, you know, he is who he is. He stays that way consistently throughout and and gets, you know... Yeah, like, we don't want to bog the film down with anything like character development. Right. We don't need that shit here. In most circumstances, I would complain about... In a better movie, I would complain about that. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want a B-movie where you just want to get to the next ludicrous absurdity... Right. You don't want to... Yeah, you don't want to worry too much about character development. 
It's not necessary. Just get to the next exploding temple. And speaking of things that aren't necessary, actually seeing a conversation between Socrates and Liz and JT where JT convinces them to go do this, uh, not necessary. Because no. the, the next thing we see is Socrates <laughs> packing his bags while his clown friend has a biscuit. And Socrates says he'll be back in three weeks. Oh, and the clown... This is, this is why I don't think it's a, a romantic relationship between Liz and Socrates. Mm-hmm. It's because this scene oh. quite clearly demonstrates that the clown and Socrates are married. Oh, okay. See... I, I just sort of saw them as, like, old friends who would, you know, work together a long time and, uh, you know, like a, like a close, close friendship. They're an old, married, theatrical gay couple. I I see it. I see it. Because the way that clown talks. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's not, like, old buddy talk. That is, That's like, my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can As see that. As he implores him, um, was it not to go? Yeah, his heart can't take yeah, it. Yeah, his heart can't take it. He can't it. do this anymore. He can't do this. He can't let Socrates like leave again. And it really is the dialogue of of a married couple. And I'm not just saying that to be funny. I, it genuinely comes across. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only genuine scenes in the film where where I literally be- where I could believe what was happening and I could believe that that Socrates and the clown that clown could act yeah they were in a long term committed relationship and the clown was genuinely heartbroken that Socrates is leaving him again but Socrates points out that he's only got 6 months to live anyway yikes yeah. um the team assembled cuz this is our team <laughs> this is our team a uptight and uh, superstitious federal agent, a drunk mountaineer, a strong man with a heart condition, and a young trapeze artist who otherwise seems to have no problems. Yeah. That's our team, <laughs> along with JT Stryker. That's the team. Why didn't he get... Other mercenaries. Right? No. Why didn't he get actual people who could do the job? No, no. That's the reason why everything falls apart later. It's because he didn't actually get people for the job. It it almost, it seems like maybe Socrates had at one time been a mercenary. Yeah, he may have been. But he's really old and covered in blue paint and... In a circus with a heart condition. Right. I don't think you need uh, just a, a... I don't think you need a drunk mountain climber and a trapeze artist. Because I think most soldiers of fortune can climb and swing on things. Well, I think the the fortress that Jonas has is on top of a proper mountain. That you might want to get someone with actual mountain climbing skill to lead you up. The, but, but that's my point is there are gonna be soldiers of fortune I'll keep calling them there, there are gonna be soldiers of fortune who can also climb mountains yeah uh, yeah yeah you, I'm sure you could have found another mountaineer it's gonna be in the skill set of an operative that between them Ed and JT Stryker should be able to find and it's also worth noting at this point Stryker doesn't even know the specifics of the job no because we're just getting to that. Yeah. All he knows is fortress on top of a mountain. 
So he, he hazarded a guess that he'd need mountain climbing, which is logical. He does not yet have a use for the strongman and the trapeze artist. That's coming after he recruits them. Yes. <laughs> because of this film. <laughs> so this mountaintop fortress, which he bought in the Pyrenees after being run out of America. Of course, as you do. Consists of a 700-year-old village uh, called the City of Love and Unity and a temple called the Temple of the Crowns, of which the professor has built a scale model <laughs> complete with motorized statue representing the two crowds of despair and hope and lights that indicate the location of guard towers and checkpoints. Yes. Like, this is such an extravagantly detailed model that I feel the time and the money spent on it, he could have just paid Jonas for the statue and the crowns. <laughs> so many resources went into building a scale model, a motorized, mechanical, animatronic scale model of the temple. With pressure sensitivity in all of the places. And sound effects. And sound effects and lights. Yeah, yeah, little motorized stuff all over. Like, this was a real hobby. Yeah, it's a great model. <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised if they filmed some scenes of the actual temple using that model. <laughs> So the plan is in two weeks, they're supposed to sneak in to this as part of a new indoctrination ceremony. But to get into the temple, they're going to need to get past two electronic locks, a 300-foot electrified floor, uh, then an alarm system that will respond to any contact with the floor or walls inside the shrine itself. Oh, and that alarm extends to the exterior roof so they can't come in from the roof. Uh, of course. Oh, and, and, and the team, so the team uh, doesn't see a solution. <laughs> like, they're already falling apart. <laughs> like, this is yeah. a disaster. But JT Stryker, oh, he knows what to do. Because yeah. he's been playing with a child's toy of a bird <laughs> that moves up and down a pole. Yep. And he sets it into the model and says, oh, we'll fly. Yeah. Spoiler warning. They don't fly. They do not fly. I spent the rest of the film waiting for the bit where they glide on Icarus wings or do any sort of flying. I'm like, right, well, they're climbing up this bit. Okay, well, now they're climbing up this wall. Okay, well, now they're climbing along this ceiling. At some point, they're going to glide somewhere. Or, or they're climbing up this wall because they're in, like, a bit of the temple that's okay, and they're going to glide or fly uh, into the main bit of the temple. No. It's literally just climbing shit. No flight involved. I am wondering if the original plan in the movie was to have some flying set piece, a hang glider at the very least, and they just didn't do it, either for money reasons or they forgot because the way he says we'll fly and the way he uses a bird toy to demonstrate it, I'm imagining contraptions. Yep. I'm imagining f wings. I'm imagining some epic gliding sequence. We don't get it. They just climb along walls and ceilings and don't explain why alarms aren't going off. Well, I think it's, I think it's because the beams that they're going on are not. Like... <laughs> I guess that's it, yeah. Right. 
Beams that at this point JT Stryker doesn't know about and doesn't know if they're rigged. Well, I think the interior roof isn't rigged, but the exterior roof is. Yeah. I think that's how they sort of get around that. But uh, after he's... How did the guy making the model know all this? I... I think I think uh, I think that Did was. Did prob- Jonas publish a book called "My Security Measures and How to Get Around Them"? I mean, either that or Ed has somebody who was in the inside, like reporting back. Get them to steal the crowns, right? They're there already. <laughs> You've got men on the inside, but they don't have JT Striker's skills. They're just you know, you know, they're they're able to provide information, but they they don't know. Yeah, how- they've just got. They've just got the unlimited resources of someone who can spend his entire days building miniature models with light and sound and effect. <laughs> this all seems to be more difficult than it could be for someone with the amount of money and time that this professor has. Yeah, yeah, you'd think. Uh, so after he's made this dramatic declaration uh, that they're going to fly, he pulls out the key and even more dramatically says that the crowns will be theirs. I don't know why. And then the key does its whole shake the room thing again as he tries to control it with the sweatiest hands I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, oh my God. When you think of the parts of your body that sweat, right? And that could be drenched in sweat. Hands, ex- exterior of hands is not something I think of. I don't no. think of a whole lot of pores being there and, you know, push it out liquid you know armpits shoulders neck legs all of that sure but literally dripping sweat off of his hands as he has them clenched together trying to hold the key in place and it goes on the key must just be really really warm (laughs) it goes on forever but really but not hot not so hot as to burn no somehow it's hot enough to make you sweat profusely but not hot enough to burn the skin on contact it's magic it's the snitch 100 points to gryffindor lights attached to it is this is yes they predicted the golden snitch you're you're 100 yeah, percent right they invented the golden snitch yep. jk rowling was looking over chris carter's shoulders while watching this and they're both just going robin on this film wait a minute J.T. Stryker, J.K. Rowling. They're practically the same person. Whoa. Mind blown. Uh, We're on a deeper level now, listeners. Lights attached to rods are moving in the direction of the camera. (laughs) And all the members of the team scream (laughs) and moan and collapse. (laughs) And then it stops. It was nothing. Like so much in this film. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. It just ceases, and we move on to the next. It was nothing, unless you believe in ghosts. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great fucking line. (laughs) Cut to Brother Jonas, who enters his temple to meet his new disciples. And meanwhile, JT and the gang are climbing the mountain, so I guess this is two weeks later. And they sneak into the village. And Jonas is welcoming his followers with a rant about how vast his power is, and that sticking with him means eternal bliss, and betrayal is met with hellfire. As they work their way inside, the gang reaches the shrine door, and Ed disables its sonic locks with a device. Yeah. Because the locks are sonic. Yep. I guess that seemed like really high-tech and cool. The locks are sonic, and Ed has a thing that stops them. 
Right. The, he has to like turn it so it's the right frequency, and it's taking a little while. It to, you know, JT's putting some undue pressure on the poor yeah. guy to get it done. Yeah, like really fucking railing on him when he's trying to do a delicate job. Yeah, it's not cool. He's telling him constantly to hurry up. It's it's like an almost awkward. Ed takes a lot of shit in this whole arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, creeping in the open door of the shrine, the group stands in the tiny area surrounding the door where there's no sensors or lasers. And Ed takes a look at the environment through his cell phone and sees all kinds of lasers inside and out of the metal cage that surround the idol holding Jonas's crowns. So with about a foot of space to work with... I've held Jonas's crowns. He, uh, he, everybody puts on a red harness, and Ed, to demonstrate his incompetence, has to get help with his. See, this is setting up that Ed's not good at the climbing. He's not a physical guy. So they got three hours until dawn to execute this mission. So, we're going to spend three hours in this room now. <laughs> Firing a bolt with a rope to the ceiling. Uh, Liz is lifted up first, followed by Ed, and then everybody else. And we're shown in laborious detail. Everybody climbing up. It's basically, you know, if climbing is in a rock star game, it's this in movie form where you just got to see every little bit of it. Back in the temple, Jonas is performing some kind of ritual with a clearly ill woman on his altar. Yeah, she's covered in um, modeling clay scabs. <laughs> the only weeping going on is the production staff yep. <laughs> looking at what they've done and saying, oh. Actually, it's interesting. The guy who did the makeup effects on this did makeup for aliens. What? That's... Yeah. That's... Brilliant. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I, you know, it's 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 peaks and valleys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the entertainment industry, you know, don't always get the the the, the plum projects, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Sometimes you get projects with a budget, and sometimes <laughs> you're handed some plasticine and told to get the fuck on with it. Uh, now in now in the rafters, JT gives Liz a pep talk. Yep. And she uses a clamp on this large beam that goes across the whole uh, whole room. And at this point, I hope you like looking at rafters, kids. Because <laughs> you're going to be seeing miles and miles of rafters. Yep. She uses this clamp to make a trapeze that she swings on to get further down the beam to place under the clamp and attach a rope. That makes a bridge that JT moves along so that they can then yeah. reposition the trapeze further down. This goes on for ages. Yes. There is a great movie, The Descent. Mm. Um, one of my one of my favorite horror movies, I think. Um, mostly for the stuff that happens outside of the traditional horror-y things that might happen. Um, it's hard to, because if you've not seen it, it's well worth going in. Um, and seeing it and not knowing too much about it. Um, but there is a scene in The Descent that is exactly this in, in practicality of, um, you know, hook coming up with hooks on the ceiling to create this, this ropeway. And in that scene, it's in, in The Descent, it's so tense and nerve-wracking. Like, it is an amazingly tense scene. And I kept thinking about that scene while watching this slow-paced, mechanical building of, of that same... I'm sure there's a name for it. 
um, you know, that spelunking sort of mm-hmm. ceiling crossing rope play. Um, and they just do it so laboriously. Yeah. And I kept laughing because I kept thinking about how the descent did it. And I want a supercut of the scene in the descent and then just cutting back over to JT Stryker and the gang and their version and back and forth. Because um, it is so boring. And, but that itself was amusing <laughs> because I'd seen the scene done so much better. It, but it does. It just goes on forever because they have to show everybody on the team getting up to the beam yeah. on the top. Like, oh. it's, this is one of those we want to try and hit feature length. Yeah. So we show everything. Because this is a, a uh, hour, 40-minute film. Yeah. And, boy, this could have been tightened up a lot in here. Uh, suddenly, a guard enters the room unexpectedly and scans with their with their own cell phone because everybody has this high-tech shit for, like, viewing lasers, I guess. Yeah. And, and as he turns to leave... One of Ed's uh, carabiners, you know, those uh, clip things that mountaineers use, uh, makes a clattering noise, and they're nearly caught. But the guy never bothers to look up. He just looks back. Tension. (laughs) So JT then is lowered face first to the door of the cage, and he opens it with some other electronic device. And we cut to outside the room, and a dog with a, uh, a dog patrol approaches the door to the shrine. Oh, I laughed at that because I was like, "Oh, fucking hell, dogs! JT's one weakness." <laughs> what? Well, it's been it has been like for us thirty seconds, maybe a minute since the last guard came in. Yeah, because this movie doesn't understand pacing, right? So it's just there again, but they don't want to bring the guard into the room because the dog would immediately notice what's going on. So he just stops at the door and doesn't go in. Yeah. Just completely ignores his instincts, moves on. Well, the the dog would know if if it was worth going in the room, the dog would know. (laughs) In this case, the dog didn't know, but in general, the dogs will know. Another bolt gets fired to the beam on the other side of the cage. And then Liz has climbed up again to establish the route past the lasers inside the cage. And JT, he slips. And he almost hits the floor, but he gets caught at the last moment by Socrates. Thank goodness they have this strong man here. And Jonas, meanwhile, speaking to his followers, he explains that this woman on his altar is a follower who strayed, was struck with illness as a result, and now wants to come back into the fold, so Jonas is going to cure her. Hair is collected from the woman and other women in the audience and placed in a... uh, There's a name for this kind of basin. And it was driving me... Font. A font? See, that's what I thought too, but I thought a font was for liquid. Brazen. A brazier. Oh, right. This is a brazier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. Two weeks later and it came to me. That's great. I feel good. So for some reason, I forgot we were talking about fire. Otherwise, I'd have (laughs) been... Uh, so it's placed in this brazier, and he lights it all on fire with a torch, and like a, it's a green flame for reasons. And he says his power will cure her, yada, yada, yada. Cut back inside the uh, temple shrine, and Liz gives the thumbs up, and this is the flying bit. Like, they, 
it's like uh, not not repelling, uh, zip lining. Yeah. They, they do a little zip line. They, it's not flying. It's not flying. Uh, it's not much of a zip line. Not really, no. Either. Wee! But yeah, it's, it's really not. It's a piece of shit. Rick follows, uh, and JT notices that Socrates is wheezing, but it's brushed off because they're distracted by Ed slipping. Yeah. And, and Rick has to pull it back up as he's screaming. Oh, yeah, they completely forget at this point that they're trying to be stealthy. <laughs> but don't worry, folks. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. They start screaming at the top of their lungs, dropping all subtlety. But I guess the guards aren't due to come back or anywhere near the area for the next three hours now that they've had two spot checks. <laughs> well, and, and Socrates is sitting on a trapeze to take his heart medication. <laughs> Best place to do it. I take all my medication at the top of a trapeze. Ed opens up this panel with circuit boards that are from a sewing machine. Yep. They are that was that was the the budget they were working with. They rather than Oh god, I love this film. Fuck it so hard. Rather than go get some breadboard and a couple of like weird chips and just solder something together, they just cannibalized circuit boards from sewing machines. With the Singer logo, like, is this product placement? Did they get did they get permission from Singer to have their logo appear in the film? Yeah, I think it's more just product using. <laughs> they placed that product all right. Uh, Socrates takes his pill and then uh, is is the last to slide along the ropes. And. Uh, Ed's fiddling with the alarm system, and and after a bit of mucking about, he connects some other device to it. Jonas, back in his uh, ceremony, he pulls a knife and presses it to the woman's forehead, where it burns an X, while the cultists make noises with sticks and tambourines towards the camera for 3D. Uh, All these middle-aged converts hanging out. Back to the shrine, triumphant music is playing as we get a slow pan of the two-headed ram statue that's holding the crowns. But uh, really, it's just filler because we're going back to Jonas now. (laughs) (laughs) He's doing that old-time revival laying of hands as the disciples chant heal and the woman screams. Eventually, she rises and then kneels before Jonas, claiming her pain is gone and Jonas is the divine power. And as the disciples chant Jonas's name... She winks at him, and he winks back. Yep. Legit faith healer, yo. And <laughs> and it needs putting out. This is the one and the only example of on-screen villainy Jonas has and will exhibit for the entire film. Well, he does order his security people to kill JT's team. They're trespassing. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I, don't get me wrong. He's totally protective under the castle doctrine. Here more than yeah. probably a lot of places. Yeah. Literal like, I mean, castle. And even if we want to say that's villainous, that's bog standard. And a response. Yes. That's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's, a res- it's a violent response to something, but it is still a response. When we see him actively indulging in villainy, we see a, a Basically a snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. 
That's basically what it is. And that, and you know, it, it, it's slimy and scummy, but it doesn't warrant what's going to happen. <laughs> I love what's going to happen. Uh, it is, it's fantastic. JT gets to the center of the room above the idol, and Socrates is visibly straining as he's holding him up. Ed struggles with his remote control to the disable the alarm. It's not working, so JT just decides that they've come this far. Screw it. <laughs> Asks Socrates to lower him slowly, but wouldn't you know it, that's when he has his heart attack. <laughs> and he goes tumbling off the side <laughs> of this beam that he's this on. This team is so useless. <laughs> but it's not the team's fault. No, it was a poorly constructed team. You don't recruit a terminally ill old man with six months to live on your heist. Everybody's ropes barely prevent them from hitting the ground in the end. And Liz, who's supposed to be opening the window for their egress, runs to Socrates and holds him as he begs her to let him go. And and eventually he just dies. (laughs) While Ed is keeping his corpse above ground and Liz goes to the window. And Rick, meanwhile, our drunk... Mountaineer is also barely holding JT up. So JT disengages from his rope and climbs the idol itself. And pulling out the key, he moves <laughs> to open the uh, the crown of the good stuff because now is obviously the right time to be fucking around with the priceless magical artifacts. Yeah, like now is in the middle of a heist is the time for fucking with artifacts and taking your heart yeah, pills. Yeah. Uh, But before he can actually open it, one of the lasers gets tripped, maybe by Socrates' corpse, and a row of spikes flies across the room, killing Rick. So Rick's down. That's the end of him. JT goes back to the crowd, gets hit with a blast of steam from the idol, and the alarm sounds, alerting Jonas back in the temple. Ed makes a move to help JT, but JT directs him, hey, no, no, get the crowns. Hands him the key. When Ed tries to open a crown, he chooses the bad stuff one. Which, what the fuck, Ed? Like this is this some majestic twelve shit? Like is he secretly working for the Patriots, and his real goal all <laughs> along has just been to to secure the bad stuff one? I can only assume because that's the only thing I have to go off of here. Fucking spooks. Where am I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember where I am. So he... (laughs) I'm going to keep that in just because I can only imagine that's how they wrote this script as well. was a long period of silence followed by where am I? Where the fuck am I? Uh, Ed tries to open his crown. Uh, A pair of metal snakes on the idol whip around his chest. (laughs) The snakes are brilliant. I think this is what uh, inspired um, later Tim Burton to have one of the um, art pieces in Beetlejuice. Oh, Burton's in on this as well. Like in Beetlejuice, one of the art yeah. pieces that comes alive and, yeah. and wraps around. Yeah. So we've got fucking Burton over J.K. Rowling's shoulder while she's over Chris Carter's shoulder. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're all in on it. All roads lead back to the treasure of the four crowns. Yeah. Yep. Fucking hell. So uh, it, they break his ribs, these, these metal snakes, and then a real snake... <laughs> <laughs> pops out of the idol in 3D fucking hell yeah to bite his neck and that a metal spike impales his abdomen like 
There's a lot of countermeasures in this room. <laughs> Jonas was wasted as a cultist. He should have worked in security. Yes, he should have been an engineer. Because this is more of a deterrent than any car alarm I've ever heard. I will fill your car full of snakes and spikes. Ain't no one gonna rob it. <laughs> JT takes another shot at the crowns, narrowly avoiding a blade, and finishes in- finishes opening up the bad stuff crown to, re- to reveal an orange orb. And then opens the good stuff to find a green one. And he puts his hands on both of them, <laughs> and his head goes full on exorcist. <laughs> I can't, I cannot stress enough. To the listener, if you've not seen the film, what a stunning moment this is. It great. After everything weird that's happened, the film's at least been s- trying to go for like some serious sensible something that's fixed in reality. I mean, a little grounding. Like there's magic and there's float floating guns, but there's nothing that's been like, it's all funny. We've just spent the last 15 minutes watching watching people very realistically work their way across yes. a beam at the top of a room. Yeah, the film sort of spent a long time away from the supernatural stuff. Just enough time to make what happens next startling. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, imagine the head turning in The Exorcist, but on... Not even on a shoestring budget, on a string budget. Well, and clinging to this weird goat idol. <laughs> yeah, clinging to the weird goat idol, but like beyond fake head spinning. Yeah. But hilariously so, as it goes not just round, but round and round and round. Oh, yeah. It, this is like a 1080 spin yeah. that we got. And going this is on. the hero. The right. hero who, I mean, that might be what the most shocking part of it is, is because he's been the grounded reality guy, the cynical guy who's in it for the money. The serious figure is now stood there (laughs) (laughs) with his plastic head going round and round and round like a cartoon. That's the thing. Yes. Everything up until now, they've, they've been playing straight and they, I, I assume they're playing this straight. But it is slapstick level hilarious. It is slapstick fake head going round and round. And when he does turn uh, around to face Jonas and his lackeys who are entering the room, his half of his face is just like horribly disfigured. It's just manky. It's like, again, they got the, the same modeling clay they used for the scabs on the, the girl. Right. And just smeared it across half his face. Like, it doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like he was horribly burned. It doesn't look like, like, half of it's a monster. It doesn't really even pertain to any facial, you know, affliction that I could think of. They just made it manky. It looks kind of like somebody threw hundreds of spiders at one side of his face, hoping that he would become Spider-Man. That's that's all I've got. Yeah. That's that's all I've got. It was just it's yes, it's janky and and sad. Fire erupts from the orbs, and Jonas orders his men to shoot JT, but the fire makes their guns explode. So the bad guys try to run away, and our hero traps them inside with the flames and continues to toy with them. 
as Jonas's face starts flaking and peeling away in burning chunks. Some of the cultists do escape in the end, uh, on fire, but escaping. And JT turns his attention to Liz for a bit before finishing off Jonas, who ends life as a screaming, exploding skeleton. This is amazing. Jonas is screaming and melting and turning into a skeleton. And it's it's clearly where a large chunk of their budget went. It don't look good. No, 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 no. But it is as exquisite as they could manage on their budget. They went out of their way to make this a genuinely horrifying, torturous, painful death for the the man who told lies. (laughs) A lie. The man who told a lie. A lie. The man who on screen, we've been told about evil shit he's done, but all we've seen. Like, his villainy is informed. Yeah. So it's nowhere near enough to make us feel any satisfaction Mm -hmm. from his death. The only satisfaction one feels is in knowing this is a shitty B-movie and therefore what we're seeing without the the required context is amazing. Yes. As this man is a screaming skeleton. <laughs> because the hero's head span round and round. Well, and, and then follow this with JT screaming <laughs> and shaking the orbs violently. Before he falls to the ground, Liz lowers herself to check on Socrates and close his dead, staring eyes, and then hugs a pillar. I don't think Socrates was dead. I think he was just wide-eyed, staring catatonic at what had just happened, thinking, what the shit did I just say? Well, JT goes to her and offers himself as a substitute for that pillar that she's hugging. And then his radio starts beeping. And he's told that their extraction chopper has arrived. He tells them that uh, they're ready and fires another rope bolt through the stained glass window in the roof. I don't know what it's going to connect to on the other side, but uh, it's fine. The professor over the radio is pleading to know if they got the crowns, that they could determine the future of the universe and eradicate all of mankind's ills. And JT tosses them into the burning corpse of Jellis. Yes. Just, nah. Nah, nah. No weighing whether, you know, no discussion over whether these are too powerful to be in. You know, he just makes this executive decision. Yeah. Doesn't even go to collect the money off the professor. No. Nope. If I recall correctly. Don't like, think he's so. just forgotten about the profit mo- motive. He's a really shit soldier of fortune uh, in that he does the soldiering and then doesn't get the fortune. Right. Thus also rendering the deaths of... Was his it entire three, team, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, three members of his team, meaningless. Mm-hmm. They literally sacrificed themselves for nothing. For nothing. And the helicopter flies away, and we're shown the body of Jonas burning as a heart beats. And then it cuts to a swamp or something. And some weird shifting mass grows out of the swamp, and a couple of snake tentacle spear things erupt from it while there's a laugh? Yeah, sure. That's Treasure of the Four Crowns. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's what it is. (laughs) It's incredible. I've seen a lot of B-movies. I love bad movies. Me too. 
I love bad movies. B- shitty B movies uh, are always well, not always. That are often a delight. The right ones mm-hmm. are always a delight. Um, it's great. Treasures of the Four Crowns is an absolute yeah. delight. So yeah. Conrad, what is your pick for best of the worst? I mean, <laughs> did you like it or not? I love this movie. I love it so I much. I want to see them do this on that show, actually. Uh, yes, yes. We should We should get in touch with Red Letter Media and be like, you got to do this. You got to do Treasure of the Four Crowns. You got to get that shit on Best of the Worst. I think it would win Best of the Worst in just about any anything it's set against. The only thing holding this movie back, and it's, it's a trait common to a lot of uh, shitty B-movies, is are the slow bits. Yeah, yeah. But... But even the slow bits are kind of entertaining and and awkward and weird enough to keep you in. I think you you fill that time by just trying to work out and process what you've seen. Yeah, and and you need it to prepare for what you will see. Um, I've seen wave. I've seen great B movies with slower dragging scenes than this. Yeah, um, and they do manage to, even though their pacing is all over the fucking place. Um, the slower scenes are often punctuated by something wild happening, like the key just going off on one. Yeah, they seem to have a sense for when the scene is dragging. And, and... Yeah, they let it drag, but they, they realize what they've done after. Yeah, when they detect that the scene is dragging, they're like, oh, okay, like two, three more minutes, and then we'll have to throw something in to, to bump this up a notch. Yeah. And it just, it, go, it lurches from one, and lurches the right word, yes. it lurches from amazing scene to amazing scene. And I think part of it is, because again, I've seen wackier, more fucked up stuff in other films. Oh, for sure. But the sheer robbery of context <laughs> in this movie makes the stuff so much more effective. Yeah. For a bad film, no good film should try this unless the you know the writer and director are amazing at what they do um but as a shitty b movie treasure of the four crowns has now won a special place in my heart i don't think this will be the last time i ever watch it yeah it's it's pretty special it's it is a it would be a great movie to watch with people i didn't watch it with anyone but i will probably watch it again and get people to watch it with me when i do this is this is when we're next sharing a location. Oh, yeah. This is what we need to live stream like we did with Pixels. Yes. Yeah. And we could probably actually get away with showing this one on the screen. I'm pretty sure we could, yeah. I don't think Canon's going to be snapping at my Twitch account or anything. <laughs> Seems unlikely at this point. Yeah. So, so Jim. I, I definitely want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I would love to come and visit this year. So maybe we yeah. can do that. And I heard you say so, Jim. I did, yes. Um, so let's keep talking about the the potential for live streaming while I look up video game movies. <laughs> because we hadn't... hadn't uh... Because I hadn't thought ahead at all. We normally discuss what we will do next time. Yeah, I realized about half an hour ago we hadn't done that. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God. Well, I, I even had an idea for one, but now I can't remember it. Um, uh, what have we got? Well, we haven't done a Halo yet. Oh, there are Halo films, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, there's uh, Halo Legends, uh, which is uh, seven short films set in the Halo universe. Seven? Uh, it came out 2010, yeah, that's... What's yeah. it called, Halo? Legends. Legends? 
What's the running time on that seven? 120 minutes. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, no, it's feature length. It's just seven short stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also a Halo 4 feature called Forward Unto Dawn in t- from 2012 and a Halo Nightfall. All right, let's get Halo out the way because I don't care much for Halo. Oh, yeah, okay. So then let's do that Halo Legends next. Halo Legends. Maybe it'll teach me to Halo again. <laughs> All right, well, we'll do Halo Legends next time, and then I'm going to have a proper thing because I know there's one or two classics we still need to do, and there's... Oh, sure. We still have some... We still have a, a Blood Rain to do. Oh, yeah. We still have an In the Name of the King to do. Like, I didn't want to do another B thing right after this. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. But... We're going to do that Blood Rain soon, though. Oh, yeah. Because that one I haven't seen before. I've seen the others before. And we're finally going to get to Nazis. We finally get to <laughs> what Blood Rain is known most for. <laughs> it's vampire fighting Nazis. Okay, so Halo Legends next time. Um, we'll be back roughly two weeks. Yeah. Like, it used to be every other Tuesday, but we've kind of gotten a bit loose on that because of our different schedules. Um, but it'll be around about that time. Uh, hopefully. And that's it. Follow Conrad on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Um, you should already know my t- t- stuff. Uh, and then we'll see you next time. Uh, and if you've not seen the film and you're still here, well done. That's strange, but well done. Yeah. Go see it. You owe it to yourself, especially if you've sat through this. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We'll leave it at that. Thank you all so very much. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.